Well, Merry Christmas, everybody. It is so wonderful to see you here. My name is Tim Park. I serve as our lead pastor here at Efree Church in Diamond Bar, and it is really uh, a thrill to worship together tonight on this beautiful Christmas Eve night. You know, it's not every year that Christmas Eve lands on a Saturday and then Christmas Day lands on a Sunday. It happens every so many years, and I think it's great. I think it's extra special because we get to be here tonight and tomorrow. And so I invite you back here tomorrow. We have one service at 10 a.m. Our entire church family will gather together here. I have a special Christmas Day message tomorrow. It's going to be different than tonight's special Christmas Eve message. And so come tomorrow morning and worship Jesus and his birth. I can't think of a better place than to be in church on the day that we celebrate the birth of Jesus. So I invite you back here tomorrow morning at 10 a.m. Well, tonight, the title of this Christmas Eve message is Sending His Love. Sending His Love. And to begin our time this evening, I'm going to read to you from the New Testament book of 1 John. And I'll read from chapter 4, and I'll read verses 7 through 9. And you can follow along up here on the screen. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 9. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Verse 9 tells us that God sent his one and only son into the world. We all know that Christmas is the season for sending, right? Now I know you think, wait a minute, wait, wait, Tim. Christmas is a season for giving, right? But let's face it, we give by sending, and nowadays, more than any other time in history, we send. We send gifts, right? We send gifts electronically through an electronic gift card. We send cash through Venmo. And, of course, we send packages, and we pray that the porch pirates don't steal them. You know, stealing packages from doorsteps has gotten so bad that it has actually led some creative and skilled YouTubers with engineering backgrounds to build devices intended to teach these porch pirates a lesson. And here's what they do. These YouTubers who are skilled in engineering, they will build a device. And they'll put this device inside a box. The box of what appears to be an electronic item, a very expensive electronic item. Let's say, for example, a really expensive set of headphones. So these YouTubers, they'll build these devices, put them inside the box, and put this box unwrapped, right? Because they want to attract all the porch pirates. They'll put it on the porch. And then from the ring camera, they can see the porch pirate come and take this box. What the thief doesn't know is there are all kinds of surprises in that box. So the thief takes this box home and inside the home opens the box thinking it's going to be an expensive 
electronic item. When in fact, when the box is opened, a blaring siren goes off. And then, accompanying the siren is a countdown. Ten, nine, eight, seven. Sending this porch pirate into a panic, thinking it's got to be a bomb. And when it counts down to zero, here's what happens next. A spray is released. And this spray is released for two minutes straight. Why a spray, though? Because the spray has a certain scent. And it's the scent that's released by a skunk. And so this spray gets all over the porch pirate, all over the house, all over the carpet. And the best part is, these skilled YouTubers, they mount a camera inside the box to record everything. And then they take that video file and they upload it onto their YouTube page. Go check it out. You will have a ball. And so hopefully that'll teach these porch pirates a lesson. But let's face it. Now more than ever, we are sending gifts during this season. And because we're sending so many gifts, some of the busiest people on the face of our planet during the season are those who work for delivery companies. My friend drives for UPS. He tells me that he's working on average 13, 14 hours a day during this season. Why? Because when we order our item, we want it on time, don't we? And this day and age, we want it sometimes no later than two days. Next day, sometimes even that same day, we want that item. And if we don't get that item on time, then we are upset, which is why these delivery people are the busiest people during this season. But the reality is this. This season is a season of waiting, too. We're waiting a lot more. If you were out and about this past week going shopping, going to the mall, going to the stores, grocery shopping, you know you had to wait a lot longer than usual in the parking lot. You're waiting for that spot to open up, and you're waiting longer in the checkout lines. And speaking of checkout lines, this past week, I had the most unusual experience I've ever had inside of Costco. Now, have you ever been to Costco during the holiday season? You know that it's, it's a frenzy inside Costco. I love Costco, my favorite store. But during the holidays, it can be pretty chaotic, right? Because, you know, you, you combine the holiday season with free samples of spicy Italian sausage. And what you have is a shopping cart gridlock. And so I was at Costco this past week, and I had the most unusual, unique experience I've ever had in all my years at Costco. And I've been to Costco for many, many years. So I did my shopping, and like we all do, when we have our cart all piled in, we survey all the lines. And we try to find the line with the shortest number or the fewest number of carts and the fewest number of items in the carts. So I found the shortest line. I stopped right behind a lady who was in front of me. And when it was her time to get to the register, she only had a handful of items in her cart. And the cashier rang her up very quickly. But then, at the end, she said, I would like two $1,000 Costco cards. Wow. 
I was thinking, there are going to be some two very happy people this Christmas. She wanted to buy two $1,000 Costco cash cards. And so the cashier pulled out two cards, punched them in, and then now it's time for her, the lady, to go and pay for these Costco cards. So at that point, this is where it gets really interesting. She pulls out a stack of Visa cash cards. So she's going to pay for the Costco cards with her Visa cash cards. But she doesn't have like one or two cards. She's got an entire stack. It's so thick she's got a rubber band around them. So one by one, she feeds one Visa card into the machine. $25. And then you see the receipt growing. Another Visa card. But have you ever tried to use a Visa card and sometimes it doesn't work? And so uh, several times she got this, eh, eh, eh. Right, that's the sound of, you know, it's a bad card. So she'll put that aside. she pull out another card. Eh, eh, eh. Pull out another card. Oh, $25. Oh, $50. And so little by little, the receipt's growing and the balance is dropping from 2000 to 1800 1750 And there I was behind this lady. And there was a line behind me and the cashier. And we all stood there. But here was the most remarkable thing. Praise God. We all stood there smiling. And we didn't say a single word. And the cashier actually said, hey, that's okay. Take your time. And the cashier would look back at us like as if he was saying, sorry, sorry. But the people behind me, we were all just standing there being patient and smiling. I mean, after all, it doesn't help to get upset, right? It's not going to make it go faster. And so I found that to be a most remarkable experience. And finally, after what I thought was about half an hour, maybe not quite 30 minutes, but close to it, she finally paid. And, and, and the receipt was about this long. And then when she left, the cashier rang up my items, and he says to me, thank you, sir, for your patience. And that made my day, because behind me, too, all the people stood there as if to say, you know what, it's okay. You know, it's not going to hurt for us to stay here a little bit longer. So that was the most unusual experience. But again, speaking of Costco, a couple of years ago, I had a really encouraging experience at the same Costco of all places. I got in line, and again, it was Christmas time. And I got behind this elderly couple, and they just had a few items in their cart. And when I got behind them, they said, sir, why don't you go ahead of us? That's what the lady said to me. And I looked at their cart. I looked at my cart, same number, same number of items. And I said, oh, no, no, that's, that's the kind of you, but please, you, you go. But her husband said, no, 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 we insist. Please go ahead of us. And I tried to say, no, it's okay. But they would not take no for an answer. So finally, I, I just uh, gratefully accepted, and I went ahead of them. And I said, thank you very much. And they just said, Merry Christmas. And then when I got ahead of them, the gentleman who was in front of them, who was now in front of me, he whispers to me, he goes, oh, they did the same thing for me too. So this elderly couple 
during the holiday rush, allowed two people to go in front of them in line. And then when I paid, I looked back and I said, thank you. And again, all they said was, Merry Christmas. No fanfare, no big announcement, just a simple, understated Merry Christmas. When we think about the unexpected, we can look to our Savior's birth as another unexpected occurrence. Again, tomorrow morning, I'm going to share a message about all the surprises that surrounded our Savior's birth. But tonight, I want to touch upon this unexpected event, this understated event. It took place in a small town called Bethlehem. And Bethlehem at that time was crowded. It was crowded because people from far off lands had to travel back to their home to register for the census. And it wasn't convenient for these people to leave wherever they left, lived to head back to Bethlehem, but they made the trip back there so that they could take part in the census. Everything about the birth of Jesus was inconvenient. And again, tomorrow morning, I invite you back because we're going to talk about the surprising facts surrounding the birth of Jesus. For now, just know that the circumstances surrounding his birth, they were unexpected by so many people. But if people had just paid attention to the signs all around them, they would have been prepared. You see, because the prophet Micah, he talked about the birth of Jesus. In the Old Testament book of Micah chapter 2, this is what it says in chapter 5 verse 2. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. The little town of Bethlehem, located in the shadows of the big city of Jerusalem, would serve as a birthplace of the Savior of the world. And this future ruler, it says, he would come forth from ancient times. Some of your translations, when you read Micah 5.2, it'll say ancient days. The term ancient days is synonymous with eternity. And so what Micah prophesied was that from eternity would come the ruler of the world. He would come forth from this small town of Bethlehem. In chapter 4 of 1 John, if we look at verse 9 again, it says this. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. In other words, the love of God was manifest. That's a big word. Manifest. What that just simply means is it was made real. Reality came in the form of this baby. God sent his one and only son into the world. Now, that begs a question. Why? Why would God send his one and only son into the world? Have you ever thought about that question? 
we celebrate the birth of Jesus on December 25th. But the most important question that we can ask ourselves is, why? If someone were to ask you, why do we celebrate Christmas? If someone were to ask you, why do you go to church to celebrate Christmas? Well, verse 10 gives us the answer. And this is the most important thing for you to remember tonight. 1 John 4.10 says this, This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us, and he sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. God himself provided the only means by which his wrath would be appeased. We cannot overlook this most significant fact. Here's the answer. Why did God send his one and only son into the world? God sent a savior because we could not save ourselves. God sent a savior because we could not save ourselves. He came in the form of a baby. He took the initiative. That is how much God loves you and how much he loves me. He initiated his love. In many cultures today, if you go throughout the world globally, do you know what some people do when someone older walks into the room? In many parts of the world, in many cultures, when an older person walks into the room, and if you're younger and you're sitting down on the sofa, just kind of kicking back, lounging around, if an older person walks into the room, you get up and you go to that person and you greet that person. If an older person walks into the room and you're lounging about, you don't just sit there as if nothing's happening, as if that person's not important, and you just kind of wait for that person to greet you. In many parts of the world, you as a younger person, you greet up and you go and you greet that person. And that's why in many cultures, young children are taught from a very young age. When somebody older comes in the room, you get up, you stand up, and you approach that person and you greet that person. It's a kind gesture. Why do I share that story? Because that makes God's love so remarkable. God did not wait for us to get up and approach him. He had every reason. He's God. He's a creator. He could just wait until we came to him. But God took the initiative. And it, it was so beautifully depicted in the parable of the prodigal son. Maybe you've heard that parable. When Jesus told the parable of the prodigal son to the crowds who had gathered to hear Jesus teach, he told them about a son who demanded his dad give him his inheritance. In that culture, when a son demanded the inheritance from his father before the father died, in essence, what the son was saying was, Dad, I wish you were no longer alive. And so the son demanded his inheritance. And the father lovingly gave 
the younger son, not even the older son, the younger son, his inheritance, the son went off and he wasted away all the money. And finally, when he came to his senses, he said, you know what? I'm going to go back to my father's home and I'm going to beg him to let me work for him. I don't deserve to be a son. I'm going to beg him to let me work for him like his hired servant. And so as Jesus told this story to the crowds, Jesus said, when the son was walking back to his house, the dad looked out the window. He saw a son coming, and the father ran to meet his son. When Jesus told this parable, all the crowds were saying, no, that can't be. You see, because the crowds, they were expecting Jesus to say, when the son came back to his dad, the dad sitting at his dining table looked out the window and saw his son coming, and he had his arms folded, steam rising from his head, thinking, that son of mine, he better come crawling on his hands and knees, and he better beg for his life. That's what the crowds were expecting to hear. And when Jesus said, the father ran to his son. That was the last thing the crowds expected. Do you know why? Because in that culture, in the Eastern culture of the Bible, fathers didn't run. It was beneath the patriarchs to run. The fathers expected others to run to them and serve them, which makes God's love so remarkable that he did not wait for us to run to him. He reached out to us. He took the initiative. God did not think to himself, I'm going to wait here until these people get their act together, change their lives, and then reach out to me. No. Love came to us in Jesus Christ. That's what Christmas is all about. Love came to us. God sent his love in the form of a baby. And just in case you're wondering, love doesn't stop with God loving us. If you have a relationship with Jesus Christ tonight, if you call Jesus your Lord and Savior, guess what? God calls us to love others with the same kind of love that he has for us. It's an unconditional love. Whenever the author John in the Bible speaks of love in his letters, like we just read, he's talking about an unconditional love. Have you heard the word agape? Agape means unconditional conditional. Agape is not a feeling. In fact, agape is just the opposite of a feeling. Today, when we say I love you, more often than not, it's because we feel love for somebody. Someone did something great for us. Oh, I just love you. Agape is just the opposite. It's unconditional. Our love for God is demonstrated by our love for others. In fact, can I say this? That our love for God 
is incomplete without love for others. That's what John says in chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. He says this, Dear friends, since God so agape loved us, we also ought to love agape one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. So, if we love God, but we resent others, our love is incomplete. Tomorrow when you gather with your loved ones, maybe even tonight, we'll all have the opportunity to demonstrate God's love. And some of your gatherings, some of your gatherings will be difficult and awkward. Now I know that Christmas is supposed to be all happy and fun and joy, but the reality is there's a lot more stress and anxiety and tension and awkwardness and maybe a couple moments of joy. But the reality is this. If your family has strained relationships within it, if your family has tension, if your family doesn't get along, guess what? Even if you think you're the only family, that's actually more common than not. And so when you gather with your loved ones tomorrow, it's going to be difficult at times. It might be awkward at times. That's why there are articles written just for those occasions. I came across an article, and here's a title. Seven Tips for Awkward Family Gatherings. Yes, they have articles written about awkward family gatherings. And I, I thought this article was fascinating and very educational, very informative. And so it lists seven tips. Now, I'm not going to go through all seven tonight, but I'll give you a handful so that you can apply them tomorrow or tonight. Okay. The first tip is actually one that I implement quite often. The first tip is this. When you go to an awkward family gathering tomorrow or tonight, rehearse your answers beforehand. And I know that sounds silly, but I practice that quite often. Rehearse your answers. Inevitably, someone is going to ask you about your job, about your kids, why you don't have kids. They're going to ask you all kinds of questions. They're going to ask about your political views. Think about how you're going to respond ahead of time before you actually get to the party. And just practice in the mirror. Look at yourself in the mirror and rehearse your answer. Be intentional. Now, I didn't say be intentionally crude or cruel. Okay, don't do that. Don't be cruel. Be intentional. Okay. Another tip is this. Tomorrow, tomorrow night after all your gatherings, if you find yourself comparing your family gathering with some other family's gathering, stay off social media tomorrow night. Don't look at other people's pictures. Have you ever looked at other people's parties and you think to myself, ours looked nothing like that? 
Why is theirs so fun and so festive? They had how much food? They had how many presents? So if you find yourself even remotely jealous or worse, resentful, just stay off social media tomorrow night. It's not worth it. And here's one final tip that I'll share with you tomorrow. When you gather with family and friends tomorrow, someone is bound to hint at something. Okay, they're going to hint. Even if they don't realize it, they're going to say something, and it's, it's going to come out wrong, and you're going to take it personally. Again, they're going to ask you, uh, why aren't you married yet? And if you're married without kids, why don't you have kids yet? So tomorrow, I guarantee it, someone is going to say something that will offend you and hurt you. And if no one else does, then, uh-oh, maybe you're the one that's going to say that to somebody else. All this to say, show grace tomorrow. Show grace. You see, because don't we expect grace from other people? We like it when people extend grace to us. So tomorrow, when you gather and you have an awkward moment, show grace. All this to say, be filled with the Spirit. You see, because as followers of Jesus Christ, we have the Holy Spirit living within us, and he's the one who gives us the ability to love others. That's what verses 13 and 14 says in John, 1 John 4. This is how we know that we will live in him and he in us. He has given us of his Spirit, and we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. God sent his love to us in the form of a baby because God knew that we could not save ourselves. The Christmas season is filled with celebrations, parties, food. Again, it's a great time, but it's a difficult time for most people. The holiday season can be a painful reminder for so many. For those who've experienced the death of a loved one this past year or in years past, the holiday season is especially hard. For those with strained family relationships, it's a reminder that not all is well. And for those who are struggling financially, it can be overwhelming. And for those who have made poor decisions in your life and you are experiencing the guilt and shame of those decisions, they wonder if God can ever forgive them. But that's why he sent his son. He sent his son because we could not save ourselves. In a moment, I'm going to invite up our guest soloist, Stella Hess. You saw her up here earlier with our praise team. And she's going to sing a song for us. And you can stay seated and, and listen to this song that she's going to bless us with. The title of the song that Stella is going to sing is similar to a traditional Christmas song that, in fact, we sang earlier tonight and we sing during the Christmas season. 
But the title of this song that she's going to sing is a little bit different. And you might not be familiar with this particular song. The title of the song is, O Come, All You Unfaithful. As she sings the song, I encourage you to pay close attention to the words. They are powerful words. They are words of truth. And they are words of comfort. Come, weak and unstable. Come, know you are not alone. Oh, come, guilty and hiding ones. There is no need to run. See what your God has done. Christ is born. Christ is born. Christ is born for you. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, we thank you for Christmas. And the reason why we celebrate Christmas is because you sent your one and only Son as an atoning sacrifice because we could not save ourselves. That's the message of Christmas. And I imagine, Lord, that tonight in this place is filled with hearts that are burdened, heavy, sad maybe, anxious, bitter, resentful. My hope and my prayer on this Christmas Eve is that you would release everyone who has a heavy heart and they would find comfort in you. So, Father, receive this song and be blessed. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.